0: Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. My name is Chris Pluck and I'm the lead pastor here. So glad to get to know you, even if it was a virtual Air 5 right there. So glad to see you. Now, listen, one of the things we love to do here, especially if you are a newbie around here, we love questions. And so if you are a question person, uh, we would love to answer them. So please text in, and we will answer this question in the Pastor Plex podcast, which we'll post this week. Okay, so um, let's get back to just the reality of where we're at. We are in, coming up on election season, and uh, that is really exciting, especially along, around the holiday season after the elections for people to talk about uh, or gloat over who uh, their party won or their team won, and it becomes... Uh, can get a little bit heated, can't it? Well, we're going to try and help you process that conversation. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to start a new series called Politics in Jesus. And I know you're excited about that because we're going to be talking about um, what it is to have really frank and really difficult discussions uh, and ultimately where our hope should be placed. So Politics in Jesus, especially with elections coming up, is a series you don't want to miss uh, because of the huge relevance we're going to have. And that starts in two weeks. Now, Let's talk about, though, the reality of heading into the holiday season, how family can be stressful. Because isn't it true, probably you would say, your greatest joy and your greatest stress comes from people you're related to. Um, A couple years ago, or it might have been a year ago, uh, I had a... Adrian's cousin came over for dinner and she she was really sweet she she knitted a, a bunch of cool like dragons and things for the boys and was sweet and uh, she was just really doting on them and of course big fan of my kids I'm a big fan of you anyway we sat down for dinner and uh, the, the the conversation went from politics to uh, the Christian eth- sex ethic and we I've, we soon found out we were on opposite ends of the spectrum which, Is always a fun conversation. And it got a little bit heated. And so, you know, she's like, Well, you know, there is nowhere in the Bible that says you can't have premarital sex. There's just nowhere that says it. And I'm like, No, there's like a lot of places. In fact, that is kind of sex and marriage is sort of a Big deal uh, to God. And so I'd start explaining, and then all of a sudden she'd start interrupting me, and I was like, I'm not going to be interrupted. And I just kind of plowed through her. And then she's like, oh, prison rules conversation. Okay. And then she would plow. So we were like literally just talking all over each other. It was awesome. So then, so then. It- What we found was there's this thing in me and thing in you probably that can get so frustrated with family. But what's really weird is if she ever needed anything, like crisis came, uh, accident happened in the hospital, we would be there. Why? Even though we were on opposite ends of the spectrum on just about everything, why would we want to come together? It's because we're linked by blood. There's a link. There's a connection that says this person is related to me, so therefore I am in it. That's why we do weddings. That's why we do funerals, graduations, holidays, crisis, tragedy, and triumph. All of that goes together. You do it. I do it just because we're blood related. Now, as a church, I don't know if you guys know this, there's about half of you guys are going to go all out for Trump and you're going to be sporting uh, Make America Great Again signs or Keep America Great. And then there's about another half of you who are going to be going for Biden and Kamala Harris. And so there's this like, real reality that you guys are really excited about um you know, flipping the the whole uh, government structure and you're pumped about new power and there is just great... If we were getting a conversation, I would watch two sides go at it after a while and it would be kind of an exciting thing to watch with popcorn. Now, but the reality is we're linked by blood. Like, Jesus is greater than uh, our political divide. Remember, and remember, you can't say I don't do politics because... Christianity is inherently political. Why? Because Jesus is king. And so our hearts have to focus on who he is. And so that becomes unbelievably important, unbelievably magnified on a global scale. So uh, we're going to disagree on politics, education on God and how we do manners, but we're linked by blood. So we should make it work so that when crisis or triumph or tragedy happens, we are all in this together. Now, there's a couple reasons why I think we resist Christian community. Let, let, me, let me see if I can pull some of these out. Um, okay, first is, hold on, this is going to be super fun. This is going to be, this is my, I love, I love my backpack because it always comes with great props. Okay, one of the reasons that we're going to resist this is because we are afraid to be known. So we start playing a lot of defense. Now, there's a certain team in Dallas that needs to learn how to do this. They need to stop dropping their defenses, and they start to play, but that's a whole other issue for a whole other time, but the reality is what happens is I don't want to be vulnerable, right? So um, one of the things that happens for us is that we'd say, listen, uh, I want to be known. I want to have intimacy and connection with people. Well, um, and this is what we want. This is the place we work at. We want this to a place all over the place. In fact, HubSpot, I don't know if you guys are familiar with HubSpot, but they're the number one place to work uh, in the U.S. right now. In fact, uh, one of their things on there, you know, like HubSpot's the best place to work. is that HubSpot works hard to create a truly diverse and inclusive work environment where everyone can feel comfortable bringing their true selves to work. And I love that quote because what that really means, as long as you produce, you're accepted around here. And so you know what you put your defense up on? Your work. Which of course you would because you want job security. You got to see how important I am and you can't be vulnerable because vulnerable means rejection. Everybody faces that. We face it in our marriage. We go, the... the. walls come up because I don't want to be vulnerable. I play defense because I don't want to be known. And and so then this comes to be true of Christian community. I don't want to be rejected by the church people. I don't want them to really know what's going on in my life. I don't want them to speak into my life because if they were to really know me, they wouldn't like me. So I'm putting the defense up. And I'm not going to let anybody in. And when they ask me questions, I'll do surface level. And that's why, for a lot of us, community at church has been blah because you're like, no one really would get, wants to get to know me, and I don't really want to get to know them because of this huge wall thing going up because we are afraid to be known. Okay. Then the second issue that we have uh, here is this: is that um, we ha- have this issue with ourselves, and we don't want to be inconvenienced. Okay. Here it is. Like there's this reality that I don't want to be inconvenienced um, by anyone but me. And I want to make sure that you see how great I am and I'm seeing how great I am. And when you sort of get in the way of my greatness and you start to stress me out on all your stuff, I am out. And so what happens is we say there's nothing in it for me. Listen, I love to go to your community group. I love it. But listen, what's in it for me? I'm not getting anything out of it. Because all I can see is me and my issues and my things. And I don't have time for that. And listen, I'm not saying you're not busy. I'm not saying you don't have kids and I'm saying you don't have stuff going on. But this might be the very thing that's hindering you from experiencing God in a really incredible way is because your selfie stick is getting in the way of you being able to have an experience true community. Okay, so... And and there might be other reasons that I haven't mentioned, but that's the reality of kind of where we're at when it comes to this thing of community. Like we either we're afraid to be known or we don't see anything in it for us. And so um, this morning, I want us to talk about really um, Jesus, obviously, and what he's calling us to. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And if you have a sweet ESV Bible, I want to try this out, make sure to see if it's real. Every one of their Bibles, no matter what sizes, has the same page number. So it's gonna be one thousand twenty-three if you have ESV, or if you have your device or some other type of Bible. We're gonna be First John chapter four. We're gonna start at verse eighteen. We're at look at what it is that God calls us to. This incredible sense of community. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you that we could come and know Your Word. We're asking. We're begging. We're pleading. Say, God, speak to me, Lord. I pray that I would. Um, Put me behind the cross. Help me to experience more of you and less of me so that you would be honored everything I say, everything I do, and this would go to glorify you and people would be transformed by the hearing of this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so 1 John uh, chapter four, okay? For chapter four, it, it says this, and this is John writing to the churches. He says, there is no fear In love, which you're like, okay, cool. No fear in love. And what he's going to do for the next, well, for this entire verse 18 is going on a redundant picture of fear and love, fear and love, fear and love, how they're they're completely opposite things, okay? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Boom. Okay, so you've got this uh, perfect love, casts out fear, you got these two contradicting things. Most people would say uh, maybe it's fear and courage or love and hate, but we're going to see the antonyms here are love and fear. Watch. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Okay, so you you see that the, this unbelievable juxtaposition of fear and love. Now this is why this is so important because I think for a lot of us we this is just gets to this place of like I, the reason why your marriage is tough or the reason is because you when they want to experience love or when you want to experience love instead of like being vulnerable or intimate you play defense, okay? Now, watch this. Jesus, Jesus. Um one of the ultimate things that he did is he came from heaven to earth. He left the safety of heaven where he's completely defended. He's got all the armies of heaven. He's got all the, you know, not, nothing unholy can reach him. And he takes on the incarnation, becomes a man. He dies on a cross. Now, in that death, he faces all the sense of fear. It's not like he went to his like, yippee skippy. He, he's like sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because it's such a big deal because he's, ma- he's exposing himself to the vileness of sinful man. But that love overcomes the fear and the defenses come down. Okay. Okay and the reason we love him is cuz he dropped his first we love because he first loved us the opposite of love isn't hate cuz with even hate your emotion the, you're still vulnerable to them to wound you with apathy or like i don't even care anymore you're putting up the fence you're saying i'm just playing defense here i don't even care i don't want i'm i'm not even be around you i'm disconnecting from you i'm done with you and that is exactly the thing that inhibits breaks down Christian community, because we are so afraid. Okay. Now, watch. The thing that is interesting about this, because the thing I, I love this is because this isn't, when Jesus going on the cross, isn't the first time you see God being vulnerable with humanity. It's something he's always done. All right, watch this. Remember um, Adam and Eve? Adam, Adam and Eve? They had one rule don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, um, they do. Right? And what does Adam do? He doesn't go drop his defenses down, my bee. He gets his defense up in the form of a fig leaf, and he's like, I don't want this thing to come. I'm afraid that God is going to reject me. Now, granted, God did did say that in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. But God has grace. And he doesn't kill them. In fact, uh, an animal dies in his place, and he covers their sin, covers their nakedness, not with fig leaves, but with animal skins. Now, that's beautiful. And you, you watch this over and over again throughout God's Word, where Abraham and Sarah, right? Abraham and Sarah, they get the promise that Sarah's going to bear a son. And Abraham's like, mm, I don't think you realize, I mean, she looks good, but she's old. And so he tries to give uh, her away to Pharaoh, tries to give her away to Elimelech, and next thing you know, God is cursing all them, and He's coming in in love for Abraham, continues to bless him everywhere He turns. Now His faith has to be tested and grown, but He loves him. Or, um, or how about with David? Right, David, man after God's own heart, does great things, kills Goliath, you know, spends forever in the wilderness being chased around there by Saul eventually comes to power and the very thing that grips Saul, which was pride, grips David and he sees a woman, he wants the woman, he takes the woman, even though he knows that woman is one of his best friend's wives. And he has Uriah, one of his best buddies, one of the mighty men in uh, God's word, he has him killed off to cover up the fact that he got her pregnant. And God... Doesn't wipe him out, but he comes to David. He drops his defenses down. There's, you're forgiven. Uh, let's. Let, you're, I won't cast count your sin against you. Done. I want to deal with you and your heart. Okay, what about Hosea, the prophet Hosea? The whole um, book is about God wanting us to know how much He loves His people and how much it breaks His heart when we run after other things. He compares it to idolatry, or compares idolatry to adultery. And he has Hosea, this prophet, marry a prostitute. And uh, in general, when the prophet marries a prostitute, that doesn't go over very well at church. But he does, and he pursues her, and he loves her, and he gets his heart broken over and over and over again until at the very end when nobody else wants her, he buys her back. He said, I want this one we love because he first loved us. That's the vulnerability of God that over and over he is constantly pursuing us in spite of us, in spite of our darkened hearts, in spite of our selfishness, which then gets us to this place of, watch this, verse 20 is important. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, which in school time, I would say liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't know, every time I say that liar, I have to say pants on fire, it's just, I don't know, sorry. For he who does not love his brother... Whom he has seen cannot love God, who he has not seen. In other words, don't talk to me about, me about your love for the invisible king when you can't love the dude you can see, because you're going to have more issues with the God you can't see because if you can't function with the one you can't. In other words, watch this. I'm going to try and explain it to you in, in this way perfect love casts out fear. Okay. Let's see if I can ex- explain this. Um, how about this? How about this? You guys remember this? You guys remember middle school? Remember middle school? Uh, how many times roughly do you think you cried a week? Uh, you know, was it like five or was it like two, three? I mean, middle school was hard work. Now, for me, I moved to California from Japan uh, in eighth grade. So roughly 1990, there I am uh, in Northern California. And um, I, ha- I had something that I wore, which was really awesome. And I don't know how well you're going to be able to see it, but this sweet fanny pack. And I wore it. And I didn't just wear it. I sported this thing. I was all about the fanny pack. I'd be like, have you seen my fanny pack? Have you seen it? Yeah, that's right. It's my fanny pack. And what happens when you wear fanny packs in a day when fanny packs aren't cool and you're not over 50 is people reject you. They make fun of you and they call you names. And plus, not only that, I wore sweatpants and fanny pack, so it was like double weird. Everyone else was like normal people wore jeans. I wore the fanny pack and sweatpants because I, you know, I didn't want to be constricted. All right, and so um, I remember rocking my fanny pack. Uh, rocking my sweatpants to school, getting made fun of, and then all of a sudden you know i wasn't like i wasn 't like totally that into fashion where I really cared, so eventually I did take off um the fanny pack and I did start wearing pants like real jeans, but it didn't affect me and i 'm gonna tell you why it wasn't because i or, I truly had like this love of Jesus, although I was a fan at the time. My mom always made me feel like I was the greatest thing on the entire planet, so when I went out to middle school with all of the kids and all the stuff and she said don't you worry about a thing those kids don't know anything they're so worried about themselves which is why they're making fun of you to which i was like man that's awesome mom. She said, but you probably shouldn't wear a fanny pack all right thanks mom so what the reality was listen when you're so loved watch this when you're so loved at home It transforms the way you interact with the world. When you're so loved by God, it then transforms the way that you love people. Because if you have this real love, and remember, this is the thing, it has no fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with isolation. Remember, when you are cast out of God's presence, this is the the great fear, right? That you would be isolated for eternity. No longer to experience God's love, God's favor, God's peace. But if God says to you, I've got this, I've got you, on the long haul, no matter what happens, you're mine. And you embrace that, that that allows you to go and love people, even when the criticism comes, even when the mocking comes, even when you voted for the wrong person comes. It all comes. And I think that is how Christian community should clearly be. And this is the struggle, right? The ideal is that we would love each other so well that we would share everything. We have all things in common because we have a father in heaven who loves us perfectly. So when we're not loved perfectly by other Christians at church, we aren't shattered, but rather we can engage to love and spur one another to love and good deeds. And you can have hard conversations with others. And isn't that awesome? I mean, imagine a place like that. And you know where I find that? Acts 2, 42 through 47. You see that. It's like, they all just got saved. They're like, I don't care about my property. You take it. And then uh, someone's like, no, no, you first, you first. And it's this incredible experience when Christians first come and are transformed. But you know what's really weird? You don't find another section of the Bible like Acts two forty two through forty seven. After Acts two, it all goes downhill, like people's sinfulness start to rise up. And uh, I'm in my quiet time. I've, I've been reading through Second Corinthians and. Uh, I think chapter 12 at the end of it talks about, yeah, Paul's saying, when I get there, when I come see you guys, there's going to be gossip, slandering, fights, quarreling. And uh, I don't want to be like that, but I know that's how it's going to be. And I'm just like, wow, that's church. And here's what's so strange, right? You would think after 2,000 years of discipleship, of people maturing in their faith, that it would be different. But the reality was, even in a growing church like Corinth or a city like Austin, it's still the same. Church hasn't changed. Because everybody has this sort of mentality, and we've got to be reminded of the gospel every single day. Because there's this thing in us, there's this thing in you, and there's this thing in me that says, I don't want to be inconvenienced with those people. Now, now, let's watch what John says about those people, because he values those people. Those are people that Jesus died for. Watch this. And this commandment we have from him, Jesus. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, which you're like, okay, here's the big commandment. Now, for the next, so this is the last verse of chapter 40, or sorry, chapter 4. And when we go to chapter 5, He's essentially going to say the same thing like over and over. Oh, this should be called the book of redundancy because he's going to say the whole thing over and over again just different ways and sometimes not so different. Watch this. So this is the commandment. So this is what you should be doing. Remember, um, we talk about this often at at our church, is that there are things that God calls you to know, there are things that God calls you to feel, and there's things that God calls you to do. Here's the commandment that you need to know that you must do. That's what your, you know, head is the commandment. The must part is the do, your hands, and the love. Well, you have to have affection for God, for people, okay? Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay. You got that. And then, chapter 5 verse 1 we're going to say it again everyone who believes that jesus is the christ so everyone who believes with our head believes that jesus has been born of god and everyone who loves with your heart the father okay whoever has been is whoever has been born of him so there's direct correlation of the knowledge of jesus whoever believes that jesus is the christ that jesus came he's the messiah came to save the world died rose from the dead Whoever believes that is born again. And then, in the same way, whoever loves those whom the Father loves has been born again. They're inextricably linked. Okay? By this we know. We love the children of God. Okay? By this we know, head, that we love, heart, that the children of God, when we love God, heart, and obey, hands, His commandments. So engaging your head, your heart, and your hands is exactly how John is over and over redundantly repeating this saying, like, hey, I, you've got to understand this. This is not like a, eh, I don't really feel like it thing. I'm getting inconvenienced by this thing. This is a put down the selfie stick and stop staring at yourself thing. And you've got to drop the vulnerability, or sorry, drop the defense and put on vulnerability with people because at some point you are called to love them. And to love without intimacy or vulnerability is superficial, and it's not real. Okay, watch. For this is the love of God, that we keep hands, his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, which you'd say, this is where I get this a lot, well, my wife is kind of burdensome, and it's tough to love her. No, 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 listen, stop, stop, stop. If you have a right view of God, And you are understanding that his love for you, the vulnerability experience with you, says, I'm going to love you. And you're going to get wounded. You're going to get hurt. You've been wounded and hurt in marriage. You're going to get wounded and hurt at a church. You're going to get wounded and hurt in life. But to sort of coil up and become a cold, hard rock means you'll miss out on all the joy of all that too. It's not burdensome because you're so loved by God who gave himself for you. Okay, ready? Ready? So for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. We're overcomers. I think someone needs to hear that. that listen, if you're born again, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the ability to overcome the darkness of the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. that it was a gift that you did nothing to earn. You couldn't like, mm, I believe. No, it's a gift. Who is it that overcomes the world except he who believes, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's how you know. You're an overcomer because the Holy Spirit resides in you. You've been given this unbelievable gift with your head of faith. You've been given this thing of heart to have deep feelings and compassion for other Christians and for the world. But then you also just do something about it. And that's beautiful. Okay, okay. So in other words, in other words, perfect love overcomes the world in me. Perfect love overcomes the desire for my selfie stick to be all about me and everything I'd say and everything I do. And if it doesn't work for me, it won't work. That's what this happens. This is powerful the reason why you resent people, can we just be honest? The reason why you resent people is probably because you haven't overcome the world in yourself. The world says, protect yourself. The world says, cancel culture is coming. Don't be vulnerable. Make sure you cover your tracks. There's no redemption. You can't like undo. You can't have... God redeem because there is no God. And so you have to be playing defense at all times. And so you can just give enough to make it look like it's your true self, but you're always holding back playing some level of defense. Because if you let them in on something they don't like, you're done. And I was, I was trying to figure out how can I best express like this, um, vulnerability and I, the one of the ways I, I think about this is that um as men get older we become more isolated we don't like to ask for help we don't do help um and and it's this real tendency to say i am not going to connect with anybody cuz i can do it myself and that's a sad place to be um a couple uh, a couple months ago uh steve hilch you may, you may know steve uh, Steve, a uh, guy at our church, been in our church for a long time. Um, we've seen ups and downs, deep friendship with Steve, and he just loves God, and he's been in our church for a while. And um, he got in a mountain biking accident, and we've been praying about this for a while all over our Slack channels. If you're not on Slack, email us. We'll get you on Slack. It's important for you to find out what's all the things that's going on. And so, and so Steve one day had been uh, mountain biking and he got into an accident and he landed on his head and he wakes up in the hospital, paralyzed. The doctor says, can you move anything? And he's like, nah! and nothing's moving. Eventually he gets a little bit of feeling in his hand and he can operate sort of the phone with Siri. Like he can't push buttons, but he can at least push the thing that gets Siri to know that he's trying to talk to her. And so he's able to to call um, from the hospital, he's able to call Joel Franklin. And uh, Joel, uh, you know, starts to pastor him through this moment. They've been in discipleship together. Uh, They've been doing that for years, and the the deepness and closeness of that relationship is so, so powerful. And so uh, they start to connect, but then all of a sudden, things start to you add in. You know, he's looking at. I'm being paralyzed for the rest of my life. What am I to do about my house? What am I going to do about? It? And Joel's advice was just take one day at a time. You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And one of those kind of things. And he prayed for him, and the church prayed over him in this unbelievable sense of like, God, would you do a miraculous work? Well, you know, Steve's in the hospital and in rehab, and he's not able to come home for like a, about two months. <laughs> during that time, uh, he gets a sweet letter from the HOA saying. Your yard needs work, and uh, and Steve was like, I was think I was planning of resodding or something, you know, but the HOA is coming, other plumbing issues, the how the how, I mean, there's all these issues. He's sitting there half paralyzed, he can't get out, and all of a sudden the frustration mounts, and he makes a phone call uh, to Jeff Knight, who calls Joel, and Joel gets uh, Steve's community group, uh, the Kel- the Kelso community group, all over to their house, and what's so neat is this this is the way way that the yard sort of started with no grass. And after some hours of work, they made grass appear till eventually it came to a place where um, it looked awesome. But probably the most beautiful part of this was this picture. There's Steve surrounded by a community group of people who want to love him, who are right in the midst of his struggle. And, um, it's a place where, as the thing that was so needed the, the yard got done just as Steve got home from the hospital. And it's a thing of rolling, you know, putting outside. It takes a little bit of work. But you know what's so interesting? One of the guys on here is uh, uh, Chris Bowers right here. He told me later on, he's like, that was the most incredible worshipful experience that I've had in a long time to be working for and connecting and serving somebody. To finally put this down and help somebody out. Because, because, watch this, somebody was able to put this down and receive help. You see, there's, this is why this is so important, is that for us to experience true community, we got to put our defense down, but we also have to put our inconvenience down. And so this morning, the question I want to ask you um, is will you overcome your resistance to community through love? And this is so important. Remember, I'm I'm talking to men for a second because just in general, men are just awful at this. And it's just a unique thing for Steve, a guy over 50 that is in community with enough people that people could put put their whole Saturday down to come and support him. The very fact that he was able to do that means that his defenses were down. He's not looking to um, be tough guy. At the same time, there was an entire group of people that loved him enough because they're, of course they would. That's family. And so my heart for you and my question for you is, will you overcome your resistance to community through love? And I'm not talking about your love. I'm talking about God's love that works in through because you've been born of him. So therefore you love people. Not so you can attain salvation, but because you, have salvation, and your trust and your hope is in a God who loves you so much. In fact, um, one of the things I want us to do uh, this morning is take communion and really remember <clears throat> what Jesus did for us. That on the night he was betrayed, He, Jesus took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, right now, as you're you're gathering maybe communion elements, and you're going to do this with us, would you think about, if there's anyone that you're sort of angry, frustrated, tired of, that you said, I'd do Christian community if it wasn't for that guy, and maybe it's the vulnerability that's missing or maybe it's the selfishness that needs to be put down. But would you repent of that before we take communion? Before we engage the Lord's Supper, would you just, whatever darkness of your heart is sort of filled up, would you lay that aside? And if you've never accepted Christ ever, I'm so glad you're watching. Today might be the day of salvation for you. You simply go, God, I'm a sinner sin against you. My thoughts, words, actions haven't loved you with my whole heart. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. You say that. You pray that. You mean that. And he promises to give you his Holy Spirit because his love comes with no conditions just with him choosing to save you. And the very fact that you can pray that prayer means he's chosen you. Now, if you're a Christian, let's, let's let's do business before the Lord. Let's get before him as we pray, and then we're going to have a time of to confess, repent, and then we're going to take communion together. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful. God, I'm asking, I'm pleading, I'm saying, Lord, would you allow us to step into community, real fast, Family to to step into each other's lives, to put down our fences and to put down our selfie sticks and to say, God, you are all I need. So therefore I can love and be vulnerable with people who might even hurt me. It's scary. But you did it when you went to that cross and we love you because you first loved us. So Lord, we might be able to love people who've been wounding us. Lord, help us to do it Give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the love, Lord. Um, I'm praying for someone who's never experienced Your love to just receive You today, and I'm praying that for those who have, that their hearts will be burdened for this beautiful thing of being in community. And God, I'm praying that if someone here is watching, say, I don't know how to get in the community, they reach out, they just email Info Wells Branch Church, or God, they just do something, they get connected with someone, saying, I want that whatever that is, where people come together and rally around one another, I want that, God, would you move in their heart for that. And Lord, as we take this time to confess and repent, would you just still our soul to focus on you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take this time.